or your Bible apps. First Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 3. Last week we did 1 through 7. Today we're going to do 8 through 16. My sermon title today is Follow the Leader, Lead the Follower, Becoming the Servant Others Want to Follow. In his book, A Call to Excellence, Gary Enrig wrote this. A large group of European pastors came to Northfield Bible Conference in Massachusetts in the late 1800s. Following the European custom of the time, each guest put his shoes outside his room to be cleaned by the hall servants. Of course, this was America, and there were no hall servants. Walking the dorm halls that night, the man saw the shoes, determined not to embarrass his brothers. He mentioned the need to some ministerial students who were there, but he was met with only silence or pious excuses. The man returned to the dorm. He gathered up the shoes and alone in his room began to clean and polish the shoes. Only the unexpected arrival of a friend in the midst of the work revealed his secret. This was a man who had a heart to serve his brothers. Some might call him a deacon. I was confident, and I had a clear understanding of what a deacon was. I took the historic view. Historically, deacon is a person that serves within the church, assisting the elders in specific duties in a leadership role. The office of the deacon, or the diaconate, so that the word of God would spread. I was confident in that. I was ready to come give you a message. When you know what God does, <laughs> He kind of puts you, just when you think you know, He says, there's a little more. Talk with Phil Tuesday, and I, I wish I would have talked with him before, because he challenged me to think about it a little differently. He challenged me to think of a deacon as a person any person in the church serving publicly so that the word of God would spread. Am I right on that, Phil? Okay. That was a a different view. The difference, I think, is an office as opposed to visual example. So that drove me back into the word of God to do some more studying. And this was Tuesday. Of all days, he waited till the last minute to tell me this. <laughs> no, thanks, Phil. I, I, I greatly uh, appreciate any, not just Phil, but any of you that give me a new perspective. I like to, I like to think, you know, because a lot of times I get these blinders on, and I only see things, you know, if, if everybody would see like I do, this would be a perfect world. You know, at least in my own mind. But it's, it, it literally is, we're both sharpening each other. And I do greatly appreciate it. So I, I, I couldn't find anything specifically that specifically suggests 
the existence of the office of deacon in the scripture. However, there's a lot of scripture that reference the person being a visual example of a servant. Two of the most prominent weren't even called deacons. Philip, described as preacher, or Stephen as a preacher, and Philip as an evangelist. Passages are interpreted differently by most scholars, but most would agree historically it all started in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. That word, running, your translation might say waiting on tables or serving tables. It's the Greek word diakonau, which comes from the root word diakonos, where we get the English term deacon. It means to be an attendant, to wait on tables, to be actively serving in a way that would make that person dusty because they'd be kicking up dust going from here to there, serving. See, the deacon role prior to Acts 6 wasn't there, but began to develop later. People were serving publicly, being viewed as servants in the church, and possibly assumed that they might have a leadership role. I, now, that's my own kind of guess there. I know when I go somewhere and I see someone serving, I, I automatically take the assumption that, that they probably have some kind of leadership capacity. I think that as people, as the church began to grow and these people began to serve publicly within the church, they recognized the need for a standard, for qualification for these people who were out front, who were seen as servants, examples of servants today. It may look a little different. Children's ministry teacher. Uh, maybe a a greeter at the door or an usher or anybody on the worship team could be viewed that way. Deacons are primarily servants or helpers, whether there's a title or not. Like a nurse to a doctor, the nurse isn't any way less than the doctor, but the nurse's role is of equal importance, assisting the doctor in order to save a life. But these men weren't just assistants. They weren't just attendants to the apostles serving food. These men had something special. Verse 3, And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. People would have seen these men actively serving food. And they recognized 
the need for a standard. These men are to be known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. You see, they didn't serve in order to get some own recognition for themselves, to bring attention to themselves. No, they served under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that God would be recognized. So all the attention would be on him and he would get the glory so that, verse 7, God's message would continue to spread. And as a result of God's message continuing to spread, in this rule, the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So we can see that this rule was very important. It was important so that people could get saved, so they could come and believe in Jesus. Very important so that God's message would spread. Jesus explained the importance of this rule a long time ago to the 12 disciples in Mark chapter 9. They were all talking about who's going to be the greatest. Hey, it's going to be me. Jesus gets them all together. He says in verse 35, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That word servant in the Greek is diakonos, deacon. But the twelve obviously didn't get it because Jesus had to explain it to them again. They traveled around and then you come to chapter 10. And Jesus is talking with James and John and they're going, hey, I want to sit on the right. Hey, I want to sit on the left. And the other 12 are going, whoa, 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 what about me? What about me? That's paraphrased, by the way. That's, that's not in the Bible. In verse 42, 10, 42, Jesus gets them together. And he says, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. Hmm. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a diakonos, a servant, a deacon. That's the heart of the word and the foundation of who a deacon is. Deacons have the heart to serve sacrificially, sacrificially. After Jesus ascended to heaven... It says that he gave certain gifts to certain men to serve the church. And Ephesians 4.12 says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints are you and I. We're the saints. We do the work of the ministry. But when I looked at it, in the Greek, it's diakonal. Paul calls us deacons. Why? Well, if we follow Jesus and we follow his example, he said in Mark 10 45, I came to serve. So if we're following his example, we must serve. 
The church isn't about the building, but the church is about serving. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. We look to you for everything in our life, all of our needs. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts about being true servants, about loving people the way you love people. Open our eyes, Lord. Reveal yourself through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read through 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 16, and then, like last week, we'll return for some clarity. So, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen? So what are the qualifications for deacons? Some of these verses we are going to skip because they're the same qualifications for the elders. And we already talked about that last week, some of them. Um, If you didn't hear it last week. I just want to bring this up because sometimes we forget about this. Uh, Nate puts together the church website, and on the website, you can go and listen to all of the sermons. They're on the website, and you can listen to them there. Also, the church does have a podcast, and you can go to the iTunes store and search Wellspring, just the word Wellspring, and you'll see uh, our church's podcast. Deacons, likewise. I want to stop there. (laughs) Didn't get very far, did we? (laughs) We'll get out of here by Tuesday evening. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we we see words that we see all the time, and we just read right over top of them. We see them, sometimes we speak them, but we don't actually observe them. And likewise is one of those words. That's just likewise. In the Greek, it's hosautos. You know what it means? 
it means likewise. <laughs> or in the same way as. And I think the NIV renders it that way. But that's what it means. But this is an indication of two things. It's indicating that we're going from elders, we're changing subject now to deacons. And also that there's equal important standards. The standard for a deacon shouldn't be considered less than the standard for an elder. I just want you to remember that because this word will come back to us later. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. This is a person uh, is revered, is honorable, a person that is respected by others, a person that has good character, trustworthy, must not be double-tongued. Greek word is dialogos, means telling a story twice differently in order to find favor with others. You see, deacons don't make different representations to different people about the same thing. They're not people pleasers. They have an audience of one, the one. It reminds me of that, um, that pastor that started that church down south. He was, he was like this. He, he wasn't afraid. His church began to grow pretty quickly, and he wasn't afraid to tell it like it was. He would call sin what it was, sin. And his church tripled in size. The, uh, they knew that they would have to build a building because it was just growing too fast. So they did some research and they found that it was going to cost $2 million to build, and, which is an enormous amount of money for uh, the church, at, for those people to raise. But there were two brothers in the church who were wealthy, and they were really ornery. They were really ornery. One of them died. And the other one came to the pastor and says, I know you're going to be speaking at my, my brother's funeral in a few days. I want you to tell everybody that he was a saint. He said, as a matter of fact, I want you to use those words. He was a saint. And then he wrote a check for $2 million. And he handed it to the pastor pastor looks down at the check, looks back up at the guy, looks down at the check and back up at the guy, takes it, he says, thank you. And then he deposited the check in the checking account for the church. A few days later, funeral comes and he stands up to speak and he says, I just want you to know But that guy in that casket was unfaithful. He was an unethical businessman. He was a sorry husband. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Pure, true, honest in all communication. Must not be addicted to much wine. It's It's interesting that the word much is used here for deacons. It's not for elders. I don't know why. I just noticed that and thought, hmm, that's interesting. Addicted probably isn't the best English word to use. The Greek is prosecco. It means looking forward to hold. Alcohol shouldn't always be 
what a deacon is thinking about. You know, when can I get my next drink? I like the word that the NIV uses. The NIV renders it, must not be indulging in much wine. I don't know. For me, personally, it just seems like a better word. It, uh, indulgence, to me, when it uses that word, it kind of implies, you know, I don't do this very often. As a matter of fact, I rarely even think about it. But, you know, tonight I think I'll have that glass of wine. Must not pursue dishonest gain. In church history, deacons, they often handled and distributed money to those in need. But when dealing with money, no matter what role or capacity, when dealing with money if at home, at work, at school, or standing in line at the grocery store, and the cashier hands you too much money back and you're aware of it, there's a temptation to take that money. And use it for personal gain. The deacon, he has his mind made up. This is all God's money. Everything belongs to God. The deacon says to himself, and God, there's nothing, no amount of money can come in between my relationship with you. They must hold the mystery of the faith. Mystery of the faith is like saying, keeping a hold of the foundational doctrines taught from the word of God things that were hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament through Jesus. Things in our own life. Things that were hidden in our own life, but revealed through the Holy Spirit. The life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ for our sins. With a clear conscience is a true revealed knowledge of oneself in a guilty position before God. You realize, you're aware, hello, I am a sinner. I, now I know. I know I'm a sinner. And I've accepted Jesus Christ. In other words, you're not faking it. You're not faking it. Whether you're alone, whether you're with family, whether you're with Christians, or whether you're with non-Christians, you're not acting like a Christian. You are a Christian. You know, I just want to just take a step back just for a minute and speak to there may be someone that might be just going through the motions. You know, someone close to you, someone that you, that you love, you know they're a Christian and you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to cause any waves in the relationship. So you just keep the peace and go right along with it. That's what they do. They follow Jesus. And that's what they want you to do. Well, you know what they don't want you to do? They don't want you to fake it. They want you to experience it. Jesus wants a relationship with you. A real relationship with you and it's your decision deacons must uh, first be tested there's a parable in Matthew 25 about a man going on his journey and he calls three of his servants and he gives one five bags of gold 
gives one two bags of gold, and he gives another one bag of gold, each according to his ability. He goes off on his journey, comes back to settle accounts. The one with five says, hey, look, you gave me five, I got five more. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few, I'll put you in charge of many. And then the one with two comes and he says, hey, you gave me two, I got two more. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few, I'll put you in charge of many. And then the guy uh, with the one bag, he didn't put it to use, but he says, it, you know, I went out and I hid it, but here it is. And his master said, well, at least you didn't forget where you buried it. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He calls him wicked. He calls him lazy. Tested first. Don't compare your service with somebody else's. You know, I can almost put myself in the guy's place with the one bag of gold. I can, you know, I can see him. Well, you gave him five. I only got one. Five bags, the master said, are few. You've been faithful with few. Five bags was few. The gold wasn't that hat that the gold wasn't what was the great value. The great value, it was it was the faithfulness of each servant. Be faithful in the little things, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Some of the translations say their wives, indicating that this verse is speaking about the wife of a deacon. This leaves out women having the role of deacons in the church or deaconesses. I don't think that those translations are accurate. As a matter of fact, I, I, I know they're, they're not accurate. The word there, T-H-E-I-R-E, isn't there. It was placed there. It isn't there. And the Greek word for wives is gune. This is just a generic term for women. It could be a married woman. However, it could be an unmarried woman. could be a widow. It's just generic. Like we say, hey, see that woman over there? We're not saying that she's married. We're saying she's female. And then we have the word likewise. Here it comes back up. Hosautos. We're going, changing subject, deacon, deaconess, men to women, equal important standards, gune hosautos, women likewise. And my second reason for not thinking that those translations were right is common sense to me says, if there was a qualification for the wife of a deacon, there should be a qualification for the wife of an elder, but there's not. I think this is talking about women serving as deacons or deaconesses in the church. I think the heart of God is, whether male or female, is be a servant. To be a servant 
to serve. And just like the men, women who are serving in the public eye, in church, that are seen serving, they should be revered, honored, respected, have good character, be trustworthy, must not be slanderers. Greek word is diabolos. It's plural for diabolo, which was the name given to Satan. There's an acronym, THINK. And I'm, I'm not sure where I heard this or who said it. I'd like to give them credit because I, I thought it was very interesting. Acronym THINK. It's five questions you ask yourself if you're going to speak about someone to someone. You ask yourself these five questions. And if you can say yes to all five of those questions, then go ahead. But if there's a no in there, then don't, then don't speak. The T and think is true. Is what I'm about to say truthful? H, is it helpful? Will it be helpful to the person? I, is it inspiring? Does it inspire? N, is it necessary? Does this person that is listening, do they need to hear what I'm about to say? K, is it kind? Is this a kind word? Or am I just being mean? You know, you never, ever want to criticize someone until you walked a mile in their shoes. You know why that is? Because when you're that far away, they can't hear you. And you got their shoes. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. I'm teasing. I have caught myself talking to someone only later to think to myself, why? Why? Why did I say that? They didn't need to hear that. And I began to search myself deeply because I wanted to know why. Why did I do that? The the conclusion that I came up with, this is the honest conclusion. I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. I didn't want that person that I was talking to to see how bad I really was. And so what I did was I shined a light over here so they'd look over here and they wouldn't see this guy. Magicians do that. They, they call it misdirection. Make you look over here so you don't know what's going on over here. You know what God calls that? Sin. I had to repent. And good leaders don't speak negatively about others. They build them up, strengthen them, encourage them in their faith. Must be sober-minded. We discussed that in verse 2 last week. Faithful in all things. Loyal, constant, steadfast. These are words that we use to define faithful and character traits that we love and when we see them in other people, we recognize them right away. But will we be faithful? Will we be faithful to give of ourselves every moment of every day little by little, to others. Verse 12, we discussed last week in verses 2 and 4. Verse 13, those who served well gain excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. I'm probably the only one here that have, has ever had a doubt about my faith. You guys probably have never had any doubts about your faith. Oh, I'm not alone. Oh, thanks, Paul. Me and Paul are the only ones. You know what I noticed about those times where I've doubted my faith? 
I wasn't serving well. Matter of fact, I, I wasn't serving at all. And doubts started to rise. You want to be sure about your faith in Jesus? You want great assurance? It says, serve well. Serve well. No doubt, serve well. Verse 14 and 15 we discussed last week. 16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. This was apparently one of the earliest church hymns. Believers would have probably had this memorized, and they would have sang this as one of their worship songs, glorifying Jesus, who is God's great mystery. He appeared in the flesh. This is referring to his humanity. He was human. He was human was vindicated by the Spirit. This was referring to his deity. He was God. Was seen by angels at his birth, the temptation, Gethsemane, resurrection, and ascension. He was seen. Was preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Hallelujah. Amen. As Paul Harvey used to say, And now, the rest of the story. When the foreign visitors opened their doors the next morning at the Bible conference in Massachusetts, their shoes were shined. They never knew by whom. The man told no one. But his friend told a few people. And during the rest of the conference, different men volunteered to shine shoes in secret. He was a man with a servant's heart, and that was the basis of his true greatness. Perhaps this incident gives us insight into why God used this man we know as Dwight L. Moody. You play a very important role in the lives of those around you, and you may not even be aware of it. I'm sure D.L. Moody probably wasn't aware that his act of service would be an influence on so many other men and cause them to begin to serve in secret as well. The church is about serving. And if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, be faithful in the little things. In the little things. You might ask yourself, but no one's going to know. Good! Be faithful in the little things. Becky Kay. She told me herself that she didn't have much computer skills. Am I right, Becky? Okay. Guilty, she says. Matter of fact, I think the word you used was, I don't have any computer skills. But she saw a need and was willing to serve on the media team of all places which deals with a computer. I think she's doing a great job, by the way, and I'm sure you all would agree too. The closing down of the computer program is not her or Mark's fault. It's just a glitch. Maybe today... You're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I would like to serve, but I just don't know how. 
Well, here's one way. Mark, roll video. My name is Ranjita. I was only seven years old when my mom left me in the orphanage. I was completely broken inside, but the orphanage I was in, it was a Christian orphanage. And it was December 2002 that I received a shoebox. I still remember the smile it brought in my heart. I wasn't smiling in front of people, but I was really happy inside. I didn't have words to describe how happy I was, and I felt special. I opened the box and I saw a journal inside it, some coloring books and watercolors. But something that stood out among all these things was a New Testament Bible. The shoebox allowed me to discover myself and I was able to write journals for my orphanage through the journal I had in my box. And I was able to win painting competitions in high school and the Bible was a great impact in my life as well. I started reading the Word of God and God was trying to direct my way and it was a total different experience from being an atheist to serving a God who is the Creator. I am grateful that Operation Christmas Child takes time to invest in the lives of children and children like me who had no hope but today I see myself in a place where God has brought me. And I want to encourage you and thank you and motivate you to pack even more boxes. And we never know whose story is going to be the next one through, the, through that Operation Christmas Child box. Pretty clever introduction to this whole thing. Thank you, Steve. Uh, okay, so Operation Christmas Child is starting their 25th year this year of providing boxes for kids all over the world. The last couple of years, they've done over 11 million boxes, sent out over 11 million boxes. This is Wellspring's third year to be participating in this, what I think is an amazing program and a great way to serve. So our, our date for our packing party will be Saturday, November 17th. Uh, that's when we set up outside here with empty boxes and lots of donations from lots of you and area retail stores and fill those boxes ready to be sent off. So as far as serving, obviously, um, there's lots of, of ways that you can do that with this program. We've already been getting lots of donations back here in the back room. We have a nice place to store things, so people are like picking up sales or whatever, um, lots of items that can be used in the boxes in November. And oh, one thing, I have good news and bad news about the shoe boxes. We've got people bringing in empty shoe boxes already. You took up my challenge to go to shoe stores and get those? Well. The good news is someone in leadership of Operation Christmas Child has donated 200 boxes of their own boxes for us. So we have the official Operation Christmas doc, um, box, shoe boxes to use. <clears throat> they're not a lot nicer. They're all the same size. They're nice looking. You don't have to wrap them. And their main thing is they ship a lot more economically. So the bad news is we have a whole bunch of boxes. I have a whole bunch in my basement. <laughs> so if anybody needs any empty shoe boxes to use for a craft or anything like that, or you are so inclined to break them down and 
send them the recycling. I would appreciate the help with that to get rid of these wonderful boxes we've collected. Um, another way to help is if you have any connections with stores in the area that would have items that we could use in the boxes, you can see me and I can give you a letter that we're giving out to them asking for donations. And of course, helping with the packing party on November 17th. Um, a little side note, helping with Operation Christmas Child, serving in that way, um, obviously makes a difference in kids' lives. They get a box of really nice things, but they also, as you know, most of you know, each of them get the opportunity to hear the gospel for the first time and uh, have the opportunity for that to change their lives eternally. But I came across a really neat story that is um, about serving, but in a different way as far as the kids being reached by the gospel in receiving the boxes. So I'm just going to read it to you because it's better than me trying to put it in my words. Annalise asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of her life at age 14 through our Operation Christmas Child Project. But Annalise isn't a shoebox recipient. Three years ago, the now 17-year-old was invited to a packing party at Chicago's North Shore Spanish Baptist Church. There, she heard a gospel presentation and joined in praying for the children who would receive shoeboxes. I felt an overwhelming sense of love, God's love, Annalise said. I felt that love coming from him, and I felt that love coming from the other people there. I didn't want that feeling to end. I wanted to be part of something like that so desperately. So she prayed during the packing party to receive Christ as Savior. She has packed shoebox gifts every year since then. I know that a shoebox can change a life. It changed mine before I even sent it out. It doesn't just change the recipient, it changes the person packing the box. I had just never even thought of that before until I read that story, so I thought that was pretty cool. So serving. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I, I never even thought about that that way either. I mean, yeah. who would have thunk? Mm -hmm. huh? And I'm That's... sure she's not the only one in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, actually you can make that a, an evangelistic outreach type thing. Bring in some friends. Hey, you want to do me a favor? Help me out and sure. this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And uh, share the gospel with them. That's time. That's a great, that was a great story. So we need to be a bridge between people and God. We don't want to be a barrier to keep them from God. So, if we ask ourselves five questions, how's my personal life? Have I been thinking about myself more than others? How's my family life? Am I serving my family like Jesus serves my family? Does my church life reflect my personal life my home life? Do I expect to get something or am I bringing something? That was one way that girl probably expected to bring something. She was going to bring her gift of being able to do this shoebox, but she received something because somebody was bringing something that she wasn't aware of. And finally, what would people outside of the church say about my character? Would they say, I'm selfish? Or would they say, I'm selfless? 
And finally, what decision do I need to make today to lead myself well in serving other people? Let's pray. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, I've never even made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe that's your decision today. That's the most important decision you could make. Maybe you're the one I spoke of earlier that I've been going through the motions. You've been acting like a Christian. Maybe you've served God in the past. But you've turned your back and now you're serving yourself. Today is decision day. If you'd like to make that decision to follow Jesus, I want to talk to you later. Jesus, I thank you so much love, your overwhelming love. You said you came to serve and we recognize loving others is putting them first. Father, we commit to you our failures, our shortcomings. We ask you, Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see people how you see people. Give us the grace mercy that we need to love them. Give us courage, Lord, to lay our own desires down. Give of ourselves every moment of every day to others so that you will be glorified. Mm-hmm.